Good morning, church. I'll be reading the entire chapter of Romans 2. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Does this mean nothing to you? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them, they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. 
You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Amen. Amen. Father, bless the reading of your word. Thank you for Sorelda. Thank you for Phoebe who shared this same scripture with those in Rome. And tough, tough verses this morning. Lord, that you have put in chapter 2. And this morning, God, would you do the work only you can do, as your verse said, that you would give us new hearts. And that's your work. We can't manufacture our own new heart. We have to submit to you. And so this morning, as we talk through a very difficult subject, God, Remind us of your grace and your mercy. Remind us of your love for us and your gospel. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever heard the saying, it takes one to know one? Anybody ever heard that one? Was that coming? Was that ringing out loud as Sorelda was reading through Romans 2? Is that reading out loud? When you hear that statement or that saying of it, you know, it takes one to know one, what type of situation do you hear that in? 
Negative, okay? What else? Sarcasm, point of, pointing a finger, good. What else? Accusatory, right? Okay. So, I googled this. And it says, a person expressing criticism having similar faults to the person being criticized. I like this one, and this is kind of what's going to lead into our time. No one is better at finding a wrongdoer than another wrongdoer. Aren't you glad you've never done that before? Awesome. All right. So this morning, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying as he began chapter 2. And he's going to accuse the Jews. He's going to kind of get into the lives of the Jews pretty hard this morning. And he's going to move us from chapter 1 into chapter 2. And if you, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, because we will be going through the Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go ahead and turn to chapter 2 if you haven't already. And we're going to continue this discussion this morning on the judgment of God. If you've missed the messages of, of Romans, if you're uh, new to this series, or maybe you've, you've missed a couple of weeks, the message of Romans up to this point is that we all stand before God in judgment. No one will escape and no one will be excused. The good news about that, right, if there is good news, the good news is that God's judgment will be according to His righteousness and not our righteousness. Aren't you glad about that after hearing chapter 2 and how the Jews thought they were righteous and yet it was in their unrighteousness? See, last week, chapter 1 was all about the unrighteousness of those living outside the church. You know, those unbelievers of God, those pagans, right? And in fact, um, at the end of chapter 1, um, Paul kind of begins to lay out all of these sins. And there's a whole list of them. We'll, we'll refer back to that in a minute. And so he talks about the unrighteousness. In chapter 2... He's going to switch gears and he's going to talk about the self-righteousness in the church. So he goes from chapter 1, the unrighteousness of those outside the church. And sorry, but today he's going to talk to us about the self-righteousness within the church. Read with me in verse 1 through 3, chapter 2. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Think about that a minute. He goes from this very safe chapter one, third person pronoun, right? They, them, let me just read a few of those verses, chapter one, to kind of give us a feel for what he was saying. And since they, those sinners, those unrighteous ones, right? 
did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful. He goes on. They know, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Don't you love it when others are being accused and shamed and it's in the third person? Something evil about us, right? Something wicked in our hearts. As long as it's someone else, as long as it's our brother or sister or someone else that we get to accuse and point a finger at, kind of makes us feel okay, doesn't it? And that's the way the Jews were hearing this being read. It's in this third person. It was in this almost spectator, right, where we got to point fingers at those terrible sinners. And yet, wait a minute. Paul says, oh, chapter 2. Suddenly this, this pronoun of third person is going to change into this pronoun of second person. This inward person. This person that in verse 1, the second word after therefore is what? You. Or in the South, we call that y'all. But you, you all, that's how y'all say that here. That still doesn't sound right. But y'all. He says, no, you, I'm not talking about them anymore. We're going to change, we're going to change the focus of the conversation away from them into us. See, Paul knew that there would be some that would be reading this passage. He knew they would be hearing Phoebe or Sorelda reading this passage. And they would be sitting there going, boy, I am so glad I'm not one of those. I am so glad my life is not wrecked with the sin that they're committing out there. So what Paul is going to do in chapter 2 is he's going to expose this holier-than-thou attitude that the Jews have had. He's going to challenge them very upfront, very hard. In fact, in the old generation, we would call that a tongue lashing. In this new generation, we call it a verbal beatdown, right? I mean, Paul's going to come after him pretty hard. And he's going to come after him because what they are doing is so detrimental to the message of Jesus Christ, so detrimental to the Christian history, to, to the, the love and grace of God, that he's got to immediately address it. And that's hypocrisy. Anybody ever heard that word, hypocrisy? Not too many hands go up. Anybody heard that word, hypocrisy? All right. So the, the acting out of hypocrisy, we, we get the term hypocrite. Ooh. A person who puts on false appearance of virtue or religion and acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs. That is a hypocrite. That is the action of a hypocrite is hypocrisy. And Paul understood the harm that hypocrisy would cause in the gospel spreading forward. 
even in our lives today, right? Unfortunately, hands down, hypocrisy is the number one reason why people don't go to church, right? When you talk to, when you talk to people and they come up with a reason or an excuse, more than likely it's, they're a bunch of hypocrites over there, right? So it's hypocrisy. See, even further damaging and painful is that the number one reason or excuse people don't follow Jesus is because of hypocrisy. The church, stop for a minute. Think about that. This is what Paul saw going on. This is what Paul lived before his Damascus experience on the road to the on the road to Jesus and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. He knew hypocrisy. He knew the power that it had to turn people's eyes away from Jesus and on to man, knowing that man would not be perfect, but sinful. So let me just make it clear. When we go through and talk about hypocrisy, there is a difference between a person who is committed and devoted to Jesus that sins occasionally than one who says with their mouth that they are a follower of Christ and by their behavior and by their heart, nothing gives proof to that. So there is a difference, okay? We'll all stand before God in judgment, but I don't want you to leave here condemned thinking that you're a hypocrite if three weeks ago you committed one sin, okay? We're good on that? All right. So the Jews were busy judging all this sin going on all around them, and the whole time they had forgotten the power of the gospel. Because Paul said in verse 16 of chapter 1, oh, the sweet gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It was this great gift that God has given us. And here's the Jews. Forgetting about that gift. Ignoring the grace that God had given to their life. Ignoring the mercy that he had showed on them. And they're busy judging. Instead of helping others experience the grace of God themselves, they were abusing it. I'll give a personal illustration for that. I'll step right up the plate and take it. When I first became a believer... I'm so excited. I couldn't believe God would, number one, I couldn't believe God would forgive me for as many sins as I committed against him. But as I began to learn the grace of God and the love of God and his mercy, the more I knew and the more I got to know and the more I was active around the church, I set up these standards that people should now begin to act like and behave. And so I started going from an active participant to now a spectator judging. I began to turn into an armchair Christian and begin to recognize the wrong in people and the lower of the standards in people. And the whole time I had forgotten that for those who sin much, grace abounds much. And I forgot that. And I got caught up in looking at everybody else's sin and not my own. 
This is what the Jews were doing. And Paul's addressing it. And he's going to go right to what is kind of their area of hypocrisy. And that's their religion. In verses 12 through 29, he talks about two things through those verses that are a foundational part of their, of their religion, the law and circumcision. And he's going he's to point some things out. And their religion, he's going to recognize and remind them that though you guys attend synagogue all the time, though you are real busy in your activity, though you take positions of leadership in the synagogues, it's all outward. It's not inward. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and prove what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Do you feel this? All right? an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, you can't even teach yourself. Do you follow Paul in that? You've been given this law of God. You've been given the actual tablets as a Jewish people, the stone tablets that God wrote through Moses. You've been given this place at the wisdom table. You've been given the works and the words of God. Not the Gentiles, you Jews. You've been given this precious gift of the law. You've been given this infinite wisdom that was in these tablets, within this book. You were educated in it. You learned how to teach it. You learn how to speak it. But it's all head knowledge and not heart knowledge. It all came into here, but it didn't flesh out here and here. This was self-discipline. This was to get the reward here on this side of earth, their activity. There are things they could do with their feet and their hands and their mouth. But Paul says it was, it was all knowledge. The law gave you knowledge, but it didn't give you a heart transformation. You lived out someone else's faith. We listened to somebody's podcast and we preached their sermon. We lived out their life. We read something in Scripture and we repeat that. Which is good if it gets to our head and our heart. So he went after them in the law, and then he goes after them in the circumcision. Verse 25, he says this, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. If you, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So not only do they depend on the law, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of what a Christian should look like, what a Jew should look like. Now they begin depending on their circumcision, which is an outward mark. I know all the guys just cringe when I use that word. But uh, it was an outward mark of, an, uh, of supposedly an inward transformation. 
You see, in our day, it would be similar to what we would call church membership or baptism. You wake out there this morning? Amen? Okay. Am I preaching too hard? <laughs> preaching at myself. Circumcision. Outward sign. Let me bring it home with this illustration that I found from Chuck Swindoll about circumcision and it being outward. He uses the illustration of the wedding ring and the circumcision both being outward signs. And he says this. He asks the question, which would you prefer? An unfaithful spouse who proudly wears your wedding ring or a spouse who guards your shared intimacy with his or her life but doesn't wear a ring? It would be foolish to think the wedding ring itself can keep a spouse faithful or the ring is the most important element of the marriage relationship. This is exactly what Paul is making very clear to the Jews. We cannot overemphasize the outward symbols and neglect our hearts. We can't go through and do the business. We have to submit and surrender to the God of the business. Then we go out. This is what he's saying to the Jews. But why? Why does he take this whole chapter of two and talk about hypocrisy? If hypocrisy is such a big deal, and it is, right? Why is it so common? Why was it so common in, in, in Rome? Why was it so common throughout the Gospels? Jesus referred to the Pharisees all the time as hypocrites. In fact, he used that word more than anybody. Why is it so enticing for us to live in a hypocrisy? I'm going to suggest four reasons why from this text. The first reason is I think hypocrisy allows us to escape our own reality of sinfulness. This is exactly what the Jews were doing, right? They were pointing at everybody else's sins. You see, here's how we kind of sugarcoat it. What we'll do is we'll say, hey, I ain't murdered anybody. But you know what? I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't clean my room either. So I guess, oh, I'm in between. I'm good. I'm not that sinful, and, and God will surely forgive me for not cleaning my room. So I'm in the middle. So we do that with our sin. We do that with our character, don't we? Hitler, Mother Teresa. Mm, not as bad as Hitler. Not as good as Mother Teresa. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm in the middle. I'm good, right? The whole time we're escaping this reality of our own sinfulness, our own rebellion against God. And Paul says, it's enticing because we get to live in the middle. It's that lukewarmness. Secondly, hypocrisy allows us to stay in control of our lives. 
when we're living in hypocrisy in the church, then we get now, we get the truth, the law, right? And we get to begin to make it say things that accommodate our behavior. We get to twist Scripture. We get to take a Scripture out of text and apply it to our lives so that, hey, God said we could have this. Or God said, I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, God said this or God gave me this. And they took one Scripture and they used it for their hypocrisy. You see, this allows us to live and choose and pick how we interpret what the Christian life is going to speak into our, our, our way of life is and what we're going to choose to do outside of Christian life. And we're going to keep it in balance. We think we're in control. Ultimately, we know we're not. The third thing hypocrisy allows us to do is it's hard work, and it can be very painful to come clean. You see, some of you today, you can't imagine the pain that would be caused if you took off that mask of hypocrisy and you opened up the curtains as God is opening up the curtains already in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And you brought someone else into that. All of these lies that you've been living, all of these lies that you have been telling and, and having to make new lies of, it would be way too difficult to start unraveling those, wouldn't it? See, that's what keeps us in our hypocrisy. It's that fear. It would be painful. It's that hard work of allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to root it out of our hearts, to bring it open to light, which is what's going to happen when we stand before Him in the judgment. The last one is we think we are getting away with our sin. Because we have not been caught, we downplay the thought that one day we will stand before God as judge. Look at verse 16. Oh, just kidding. Okay, I'll read verse 16. Verse 16 says this. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men of Christ Jesus. You see, one day we'll stand before God. We, we won't be able to hide it anymore. We'll be caught redhead. We'll be caught. So Paul... He gives us at least three reasons why hypocrisy is a big deal. Here's what I want us to think about as we go into a time in a minute of personal reflection. This is why Paul addressed hypocrisy so quickly, chapter 2. Because number one, he knows we will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And he's begging them. Oh, God's mercy is so good. His grace is so good. 
Let that draw you to repentance, not His judgment. Secondly, we are keeping people from seeing an accurate picture of God by misrepresenting the gospel. I alluded to that earlier. Number one reason why people don't go to church or follow Jesus is because of our hypocrisy. That's their excuse, but it's a good one. And the third reason, it keeps us in bondage and it hinders the Spirit of God from working in our lives to give us this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So what does Paul tell the Jews to do? What do you do this morning? What do I do this morning? we got to be willing to step out of our hypocrisy into the forgiving and the forgetting loving arms of Jesus. Verse 4. Do I go this way? Yay. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? This morning, it's God's kindness and His mercy and His patience that has allowed you to stay in your hypocrisy. But He's brought that to us this morning so that it would cause us to repent. Not judgment, not being caught, not, oh crap, but, oh Lord, Your mercy. So I'm going to invite the band up. I want you to get the card that's on the chair near you and the pencil. That's by you. Wyatt's going to sing a song with the band first. And it's a, it, it's a special song. And then the second song, um, he'll invite you to stand up and sing along. But during this first song, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that pen and that pencil. And I want you to think about three things. First of all, I want you to write your unconfessed sins on that card. No one's going to see it. You're going to take it home with you. Write your unconfessed sins on that card. Number two... Write down areas or people you've been judgmental towards. Write them on that card. And then thirdly, what are some areas in your life you're hiding behind hypocrisy in? All right? So do that as they sing this first song.